Affrontato da Atebur, ritorno fondamentale anche per le prossime partite. Poi Busio dalla distanza, chiama subito all'intervento Musso, mette paura il Venezia all'Atalanta dopo 20 secondi. Commainers, chiama palla Ilicic, servito ancora. Ilicic ne ha tre davanti, la fa passare con una magia. E l'Atalanta passa in vantaggio, come sempre, con l'inserimento di Mario Pasalic. 1-0. E dall'altra parte riparte l'area alla Sociedad. Sorlot cercato e battuto Black. E avanti la Real Sociedad al primo tiro in porta. 1-0 Atletico Madrid sotto. C'è chi una notte del genere non la vivrà mai, c'è chi ha la fortuna di viverla una volta sola. Poi ci sono Palmeiras e Flamengo, hanno vinto le ultime due edizioni della Libertadores e questa sera scendono in campo per alzarla per la terza volta nella propria storia. Amici di Dazon, un saluto ad Alberto Santi e benvenuti all'estadio centenario di Montevideo dove si gioca la finale della 62esima Copa Libertadores. Sports journalism has always been an abstract part of my life. I watch football for the football, for the players, strategy and emotions. I never watch football because of the commentators, right? Well, try listening to a game without fans. We've all done that recently. It was eerie in the stadiums. These industrial behemoths, void of emotion and jubilation. Goals scored but celebrated with silence. That sound of silence pervasive, powerful. Now try to watch a game without commentary. There's something missing. The flavor is not quite the same. It's like a salad without the dressing. You order the salad, right? The dressing is an additional option. But a dry salad is just not the same thing. Sport commentary, when done well, is the dressing that turns a dry salad into a culinary spectacle you cannot stop feasting upon with your eyes. So, I'm joined today by Alberto Santi, as you can tell from the name, an Italian football commentator who I worked with some years ago and who has always been charming, down-to-earth, concise and observant, knowledgeable and conscientious, open and friendly. Through Alberto, the journalism that seemed once abstract and distant solidified and became a vivid spectacle in my mind's eye. He explained how he did things, the effort taken in preparation, the stories shared to bring volume and body to a sporting event on the other side of the world. When Alberto speaks about football, you hear the change in tone, like a sports car that has suddenly slipped into a lower gear, engine purring, handbrake finally coming down. We talk football, of course, but we wander around the pitch, sometimes defending, sometimes attacking. We talk politics, gender bias in the media, where Alberto expresses himself in his second language in a way that brings both his Italian passions to bear, but also his supportive stance. Because for Alberto, it is natural that women's voices are also heard in the commentary box. Why would they not be? We talk football, past players, England and Italy, dare I mention it, referees and even Qatar. Our talk lasts only until half-time. 
with some extra time thrown in but it's full of goals and action and so good to be able to speak with alberto again grazie mille alberto e alla prossima Okay, I'm joined today by uh, Alberto Santi, who is uh, a fantastic football commentator. Alberto, welcome. Hi, Zach. So nice to be here with you, and thank you for this great presentation, this great introduction. Oh, man, you, I'll tell you, l later on, I'm going to write up something a bit more extensive and then add another introduction, and it's going to be even more flowery and um, you know, full of praise. Um, and so, yeah, I hope you won't be too embarrassed, but by then it will be too late. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, first things first, um, I have to say congratulations, because since we last spoke, and we'll talk a bit about how we got to know each other uh, in a bit, um, you've become a father as well. So, you know, congratulations. Uh, that's a huge step, obviously. Um, yeah. How much has your life changed as a result of this? Well, first of all, thank you. And I mean, it, it has changed a lot, but uh, fortunately, I'm not having problems in, in dealing with it. I mean, I'm trying to take all the good stuff from it, no? And <laughs> I mean, when they cry, they cry. Babies cry. It's, it's If they cry, they it means that, I mean, he's okay, yeah. that, that he's a regular baby. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, a bit tiring and tired. But I mean, it's it's wonderful. It's really a joy you cannot express in words. They they told me that before, you know, the 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 birth yeah. of my baby boy. <clears throat> they told me you will not be able to express what you feel. But I thought it was because it's such a great emotion, you know, a great feeling that it's just indescribable. But the truth is, it's such a mix of feelings in and they are like they fight each other because it's uh, a joy, great joy. But at the same time, in the second you're there and you're, you see that this new life, you're also a bit scared because you need to, you know, you become a father. You're not free to do whatever you like. I mean, or, or you can do it, but you have, you know, like a, a son to, 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 to think about and, try to express the future and everything so it's it's such a mix of feelings but really wonderful beautiful yeah, yeah and I, i it's also i mean people can't see this because it's, it's an audio based uh, podcast completely but you've you've revolutionized your studio and um you know for people to understand that you are so into your sport and it's almost like you had uh, like built a temple to your sport and that's completely gone and it's now where you look after your baby so that's a wonderful sacrifice you've made <laughs> yeah it's it wasn't easy <laughs> because they had all my you know like a table with my memorabilia tickets uh, stadium pass and uh, press area thing all of these my jerseys my sacred jerseys but yeah i mean now it's a diaper station So <laughs> That's it's fantastic. okay. I mean. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. So just to talk about the background. So it's it's not um, every day that I get to know uh, somebody who is you know, as sort of well known as you in the sporting media community. Um, but we, we work together a little bit to sort of refresh uh, your, your your English at the time when you were working at uh, Internazionale, um, which is your passion because that's your club as well um 
And I mean, can you just talk a little bit about how you got into, I mean, because every fan would love to work for their club. So how did that come about for you? Well, it's it was a, such a crazy road because I ever since I was in high school, I wanted to do, be a journalist. Well, first of all, I wanted to be a soccer player or a football <laughs> player. It depends on your audience, if they're English or American. Uh, but when I realized that that was I wasn't going to be a football player, I said, okay, so if I cannot be on the pitch, let's try to be on the stands and you know and do the do the work about it, do a work about it. So I started with a Italian TV station, a TV channel uh, called Sport Italia. It was a national TV with a lot of young guys. It was really a, such an amazing experience because it was actually my first experience. So I, I've learned everything there with such great colleagues, really great professionals. Unfortunately, with with crisis and everything, the, the channel shut down. So I became a free agent. <laughs> Let's say it this way. And then I got I started working with 442 the English magazine with they had they had an Italian version of it and while while I was working there I got a call from Internazionale because they have their own Inter TV you know a, a football a TV station about Inter 24/7 talking about Inter they needed a journalist and they called me so that's how it worked for me and in the first days it was you know like a baby in a candy store because the office was actually inside the training center so I I used to go there every day in the training center, you know, maybe meet some players. Unfortunately, uh, in the years I've been working there, results weren't that good. Inter wasn't in the Champions League. I managed to get in the Champions League uh, one season, yeah, in the first season when they came back. And it, it was wonderful because I had the chance to go to London, to, to Wembley, to Eindhoven for the PSV game in Barcelona. So it was really a great moment. I remember one moment when I was in Camp Nou in Barcelona and I was actually reporting pitch side before the game. And I was looking around and see all the fans, you know, the Champions League music. And in that moment, I thought, oh, wow, all the sacrifices I've been doing in the past 10 years, fortunately, now in this moment, I see that they've been I've done them for a good thing. And so it's really, it was a really good thing, a great thing. Mm. So basically you, you clearly joined just after the Mourinho period at, uh, at Inter, was it? It was in 2014. So it was with the Mazzarri. Okay. And like a couple of weeks after I started working there, uh, Mazzarri was sacked and Mancini came back. Okay, so it was it was after uh, Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but you, you, I also, if I remember correctly, so Zanetti was still quite involved with the club, wasn't he at yeah. the time? Or is, is he still involved at the club? Yes, he's the vice president at the moment. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Because he was obviously quite an influential player, uh, as well as Cambiasso, I think, in uh, the Mourinho team that won the, uh, the, the 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 triple. I think the triple, wasn't it, that they won? When Moratti bought Inter in 1994, I think, his dream was to win the Champions League, like his father did back in 1964 and 65. And after like 26 years, he, he managed, no, well, 16 years, sorry. He managed to do that. And he did that like with spending a lot of money. And it was also Calciopoli in the middle, you know, he struggled a lot. He's 
he's been through a lot and like that's what almost all the players say when they talk about Moratti was like a father figure mm. so it was you know a great dream for Moratti and all the players to win the treble in 2010 because he really was the uh, pinnacle of the Inter story in 113 years mm. Yeah, I mean, United have also won, Manchester United have also won a similar treble back in 1999. Right. But, I mean, there were a lot of lucky moments in the, the Manchester United treble. Uh, do you also remember some specific key moments from the from your treble? Yeah, of course, yeah. But as, as Mourinho said, in that season, he said Champions League is is a competition of details. And every detail, every detail count in in that season. I remember in the semi-final in the second leg against Barcelona, like with two minutes to go, uh, Barcelona scored, and that goal would send Barcelona through to the final to play in the Bernabeu, you know, in the stadium of Real Madrid. So that would have been crazy. That would have been crazy. And and I think it was Yaya Touré who touched the ball with their hand. So it was a handball, but it was for inches, uh, really inches. And and so the referee saw it and, and VAR wasn't in the game back in the day. So it was a bit of luck and also with Inter playing for more than an hour with a man down because Thiago Motta got sent off with the famous, you know, Busquets scene where, they, where he looks, gives a peek of the of the scene with his eyes, eye between his hands. So it's it's been really crazy, but also against Chelsea. You know, in the first game in San Siro, uh, when Cambiasso scores is, yes, Cambiasso scores after um, Calou, I think he was. And I mean, there has been really different moments that uh, from outside and maybe after some years, you can look at back at that season and see it was something like meant to be. Mm. For yeah. example, in the last game of the Serie A, in the last match day, match day turnier against Siena, uh, there was a Siena player who actually was on loan to Siena, but it was of Roma. And Roma was competing with Inter point, point to point until last second. And this player played uh, such a great game and Inter won just like one nil. It was uh, unbelievable. I remember, I think it was a, a cross from the right side of the pitch and Julio Cesar, the goalkeeper, just let it go by, but he went out for like this match mm. and all the, in I remember my father went completely like wide in his face. It was such a, a scary moment, but yeah, that's, that's football, you know, just like Man United against Bayern Munich, it just changed with one ball in one second. Yeah, absolutely. And remember it well as well. Um, it, it's funny, actually, you mentioned Roma because obviously um, yeah, Mourinho has returned to to uh, the Serie A with, uh, with Roma. Is he still there or is, has he already been fired because of making everybody angry? Sorry? Is Mourinho still at Roma? or has Yeah, he been, he's still yeah? there. He's, I mean, Roma is not an easy team and, and also it, it, it's fan base. It's not easy to manage it. Because they get really enthusiastic in with the win and they get really low if they lose. So Mourinho is trying to, you know, try to keep it steady across the season. 
and it's not going to be easy for him but i think he enjoys it because he he, he thrives you know in an in in something like this because the roma press it's really you know always with him always with Mourinho, trying to uh, look at every detail of his face when he's in bench uh, <laughs> so it's it's really en- i think it's funny for him he's mm. enjoying it of course he wants he's a winner so he wants re- he wants results and i think He's on the good road, you know, to try to build something. But at the moment, there are teams that are better than Roma and Serie A. Mm, I mean, there's such a long relationship between uh, Italian football and the Premier League. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, even one or two of the Serie A clubs were established by English. um, Yeah, Genoa. Yeah, Genoa was founded by English. I think also AC Milan was founded by yeah. English. Yeah, because it's in the sign, the symbol of Milan is the 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 the, the uh, Saint George Cross as well, yeah, if I'm exactly. not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and when we when we sort of started working together, um, I think we had just experienced the miracle of Leicester City under Claudio Ranieri. Um, and unfortunately, just this weekend, um, you know, Ranieri was fired from his position um, at Watford after you know very few games. Um, and also Ranieri, I think he was at Roma before Mourinho, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but there have been lots and lots of Italian coaches, uh, players. I think in, this morning in your latest uh, your podcast, uh, you also mentioned some of them. You mentioned uh, Viali, uh, you mentioned uh, Roberto, no, 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 was it Di Matteo? Yeah, Di Matteo. Yeah. Um, Zola, Di Matteo, Di Canio, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So all of these people who have come over and been such really popular figures in in the Premier League. Um, how popular is the Premier League still in Italy? Very popular. Very popular because, uh, well, it's not like popular like it would be in, in the US or maybe in Asia because the primary interest here is, is Serie A. But... Those who follow Premier League are very fond about it because they love the stadiums, you know, all the stories, all the teams with with the shirts. And I remember, I think one of the most popular film here in Italy between uh, soccer or football uh, fans, it's um, Fever Pitch. And there are lots of Arsenal fans because of those of that movie. I remember this year I've commented on Arsenal in a couple of games. It was on the Carabao Cup. And the day I was going to do the game, I've got tagged on Instagram, on my social media page, from an Arsenal, Italian Arsenal fan club. So, and he has uh, many followers. So that's, I mean, they they live it as a passion. I mean, like it would be uh, like a support, they like they support an Italian team. And, mm. it, and it's wonderful. I mean, in, in Italy now, it's Sky. Sky is broadcasting the Premier League. And they do a lot of studios, a lot of shows about it. And I mean, it's it's wonderful. It's such a co- different um, competition from the Serie A. The style they play, it's so different. That's mm. really funny to see it. Funny, yeah. I mean, enjoy. Not funny, that it makes me laugh. But divertente, <laughs> <laughs> that's why yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Yeah, yeah, funny. yeah. yeah entertaining um yeah i mean you're on the podcast that i, I listened to this morning so sefosse yeah if i if i were or if it were um you mentioned that if if basically you could be a footballer of not necessarily the top top tier 
um, but like a sort of secondary tier, where would you go? And some of your um, your, your co-speakers uh, mentioned the MLS and uh, maybe Portugal or so on. But you said you would love to go to London um, and play for uh, not a top team necessarily, but you know, one of the sort of the next level down, as it were. Um, so you clearly have a passion for uh, yeah, the Premier League and uh, playing in that kind of atmosphere. Yeah, well, I love London, first of all. <laughs> so, okay. And so I imagine what if I'm a, a young football player with a good salary, because, I mean, they're lucky, so it's it's a good thing for them. And to live in London with uh, all the things London has and the stadiums and the passion of the fans, uh, they, they live uh, 24-7 for their team. So I imagine, like, scoring in a... London Stadium, you know, and just jump into the fans, you know, as you can see with Conte, you know, now with Tottenham, he's, I love the way he loves football, the way he celebrates. So I, I would love to do that because really it's, it's wonderful to go and play in a nice stadium, you know, and see the crowd and see the passion, you see the um, link the city has with the team. Yeah. In, in Italy, it's a bit different. Because it's there are lower, there are, there are uh, less teams than in England. In England, if you go to see the, I would say maybe League Two, you just see wonderful stadiums and packed stadiums with the fans going away. You know, it's it's wonderful. Here, if you go to fourth tier, it's it's not the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, and it's a part of the community. Uh, I, I don't know if um, there's a particular reason why it has developed in such a way. You're right to say that there are many more teams. I think there are sort of four professional leagues in, in England. Um, and so therefore, there's there are lots and lots of teams for people to support. Um, but obviously, talking about uh, an Italian such as yourself, when we're talking about London, I think enough time has passed that I can now speak maturely about the um, you know, the European Cup final last year um, <laughs> okay. without without getting too emotional and crying. But um, but around without talking necessarily about the game and how that developed, I'm sure everybody's analysed it. But there were lots of things going on around the game um, and before and after. Um, how, how was that presented? Um, did you commentate on that yourself? Uh, no, how, for, unfortunately, no. no. Okay. Um, so how how did the um, what was the kind of reaction? Because I've read lots of Italian football supporters being very critical of the England players who took off their 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 medals because they were upset. They said, "What kind of sportsmanship is this?" and so on. Um, even though I don't think that was the the reason behind their, them removing it, but there were also equally as many Italian supporters sort of defending um, you know, the players and, and how things went about. How do you remember the aftermath of that of that game? I think that in in Italy, as you said, there were two you know parts of of it. They said some said that it was you know like uh, an injustice you know uh, a lack of respect if you took take off your silver medal and others said i mean it's normal uh, i think from outside it's very difficult you know to be in those player shoes you know losing a final like that and penalties in front of your home crowd with the nation that only won in 1966 so they're looking for a, a major trophy i mean england is the the, the the father of football, no, they invented it, and it's so 
why would you try to get in in these young guys' head? And why would you tell them not not do, not not do that? I mean, mm. it's if if I were, you know, talking about Sefossi, like in, in, in my podcast, what if I was an England player and just lost an European final in front of my own crowd? I I wouldn't I I'm not able to say what my reaction would be. Mm. But I mean, also people forget that in 1990, in you know, the World Cup in Italy, there was a similar deflation um, you know, among the people because the team with I think Baggio was in the team as well yeah. at the time. As in, that was a fantastic Italy team, um, and they were just pipped at the end by Germany. Um, yeah. By so, Argentina in the semi-final against Argentina, uh, they lost the- in penalty kicks. Yeah. Ah, okay. It was against Argentina. I remembered it incorrectly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, how how did that feel? Because all the way until then, Italy had not conceded a single goal. I think, if I'm not mistaken. So they they played such a solid defensive game. Was it Baresi? Was in was in the yeah, Baresi, well? Maldini, uh, Ferri. Yeah, yeah. Many many people in Italy they say that the Italian national team in the World Cup of 1990 it was the best Italian national team of all time even though it didn't win. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's difficult to say because unfortunately I didn't live, you know, that, that what World Cup in 1990 as I was born in 91. Uh, but everyone, uh, when I ask some people about it, they say it was such a, an amazing feeling, you know, just living that month in Italy because there was a lot of enthusiasm. Everyone was behind the team, you know, everyone was dreaming. You had new stadiums. So there was a lot of, I mean, Like, I think it it's going to be, hopefully, after the pandemic, I think there's going to be the same feeling because you're ready to, you know, restart finally, you know, that same emotion. You think, okay, now I'm ready to do something. And in 1990, what they told me, it's it's this, there was this emotion and feeling of, you know, like, try to do something historical. Uh, unfortunately, that team lost to penalties, but I mean... That's that's football, you know. It's it's not a script. It's not scripted. So no. <laughs> sometimes there's a Maradona who just ruins your party. Oh my word! Uh, don't even get me started. I wish there were VAR in 1986. I tell you, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a different matter. Um, okay, we, we, we've spoken a couple of times already about your podcast, uh, I Titolari, um, and this was something that you started uh, a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, what inspired you to start your, your fantastic podcast? I have to say, really entertaining. Oh, thank you very much. First of all, it was a thing I had in my mind. Um, for many years because I wanted to do it. But uh, when I was working in, with Inter, I was there full time. Uh, so I had the time, you know, to do it. And in 2019, I went freelance. I started to work as a freelance, so I had a bit more time. And that, that was the moment I thought it was okay for me to do it. it for many reasons, because I wanted to do it. I mean, it's, I think, a very good thing. And also for like, I would say like a brand positioning of myself, you know, and having a podcast of my own, working on it. And also if you work for a TV or a newspaper, you always have a chief, you know, that to respond to. And my podcast, my rules, so I would say like that, you know, <laughs> in Italy, we say when you go and play in the park, you know, with a ball, uh, with friends when you're a kid, They say, il pallone mio decido io. 
So my ball, my rules. That's the same with podcasts. And also I had the chance to uh, do it with my big friend from elementary school. And I used to say in the first episode that he's the best sports journalist to not be a sports journalist because he's so <laughs> crazy about sport and football. He has such a great memory. You know, he, he remembers everything. So that's it's also what well, I started. It was December 2019 and in March 2020, the pandemic started. So unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to meet with my friend uh, week in and week out. But for the first three months we we just met and have a beer and re record the podcast so it's it it was also a nice thing to you know meet my friend yeah i mean it's brilliant because you also have a lot of uh sort of creative material so it's not like uh, your typical podcast where you come in and you do uh, post-match analysis or you talk about perhaps some of the main events but it's more than that there, there are lots of interesting and creative topics and i remember some of your first ones you you, you kind of split the the podcast up into different sections Yeah. Um, and, and so you don't always do things in exactly the same structure. So it, it's would you say that you've developed the idea or is it simply that you don't want to stick to such a rigid uh, organization? I think it depends by the topics of the week. Uh, for example, we have two sections that they repeat every week and it's what they call uh, Momento Ingranaggi which uh, it, it is based on, I don't know if your audience is uh, familiar with uh, Family Guy. Yeah. There's an episode of Family Guy where uh, Peter Griffin is stars in a newscast, news TV, and he says, what really grinds my gears? You know, and he starts, you know, arguing about something. And in Italian, the translation, what really grinds my gears, it's, che cosa fatto girare i miei ingranaggi? So that's what Momento Ingranaggi is, you know, like it was a gear moment. Mm -hmm. And so we speak in that moment of something we didn't like in the week. And it's not easy because, I mean, I don't know how it's in, in England, but it, with Italian journalism, sports journalism, most of all, you, are, you have to be really cautious in talking, you know, bad about something. And because the press offices are very, very, you know, attentive, um, I was going to say. They're very um, yeah, cautious, attentive. They, they are. Yeah, yeah they, they are listen focused. to everything. So, I yeah. mean, it's I, I know that it's not supposed to be like that. The one should be able to say something freely. But also, I'm not the big of a journalist. I'm not a big fish of a journalist. So, you know, I'm not at that step yet. Hopefully I will be one day, but at the moment, you know, uh, you have to be humble and say uh, something. So that's why uh, the Momento Ingranaggi, I think it's the way to say something, but also in a, you know, relaxed way, light way, not trying to be something really, really uh, pesante, you know, something heavy, too heavy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah, not too serious. The second one is the Momento Dolce Bonbon <laughs> that's taken from the Simpson episode. Uh, when when Omer uh, is taking the babysitter back home and he grabs a uh, candy uh, and the babysitter thinks he touched her. So that's when he tries to grab the, the bonbon. I mean, in, in Italian is the, the, the candy. Yeah, and sweet, yeah. so we try to think what's the candy of the week, the good thing of the week, the winner of the week. So that's mm. 
That's why those are two moments that we try to keep every week. But sometimes I used to have like the top five moment there. I mean, yeah, it's I don't want to be too structured, but I think that repeating something, it's a good thing to um, also talk with your audience, you know, to create a relationship with your audience. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's actually quite funny you say that you because you're I find you to be a very responsible person. Yeah. So as in even when we had our own private discussions, you would never allow yourself to lose your objectivity. And even though you were you were working, for example, for Internationale, you were also very fair in your assessment of Milan or Juventus or, or Napoli when we were talking. So I, I always got from you this sense that, okay, this guy loves his club, but he hasn't lost his objectivity. And, and when you talk about the responsibility you, you assume when you talk about your, um, your in your podcast, I, I, I think about another Italian podcast called La Zanzara, um, <laughs> yeah. which is absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if you, if it, how you feel talking about another podcast, but do you listen to La Zanzara? Because it's Sometimes. mad. Yes, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? It's the most listened podcast in Italy, or at least one of the most uh, most listened. But it's as a radio program. It's it's not a podcast per se. It's a radio program that they turn into a podcast. And well, the the thing that makes La Zanzara such a followed podcast and radio program is that people call. And they just say whatever they like. They curse. They they say maybe <laughs> they're free. for the past two years they've been being they've been talking about COVID. So they there's I would say no vaxxers. They call and say no, I don't want to get my vaccination. So they they're very free free to do it. But at the same time, it's it's funny if you take it in the right way, in the good way. Well, and of course, the, the hosts are great because mm. they know when to, uh, in, in Italy, we say cavalcare l'onda, no? They know when to ride the wave of, of, of the people who's, who's talking to them. Yeah, 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 but I mean, they talk about everything, politics, sometimes sports, but not that much. Uh, politics, most of all, and sometimes they talk about sex. So and people get crazy, you know, there's the, the, the main host uh, really gets gets going when they talk about it because there's the other host, the co-host, it's really, you know, like, really like, proper, like a, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So it's, <laughs> I mean, it's funny. It's funny, but you have to take it the right way. Uh, I tell you, this today, so it was the first time I actually, I'd, I'd listened to it properly and um, they, they were talking, Gates, Gates, and I'm thinking, what is this Gates? And then I, eventually it's, it's Bill Gates. That's <laughs> 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 so all of these conspiracy theories about Bill Gates, but people phone up from Italy saying, Bill Gates, and, and oh, it's so funny. It's, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. But it's not, yeah. let's say it's not a great advertising for Italian people. No, okay, no, but it's, uh, okay. Um, I, I, you know, I have often quoted an Italian uh, proverb uh, which goes "La mamma dei deficienti è sempre incinta," yeah? <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah, this means that uh, the, the mother of uh, yeah, stupid people is always pregnant. And yeah, um, yeah 
no country has a monopoly on stupidity. Um, I think uh, every country has its fair share. Um, and so therefore, uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't worry too much about how this translates. I mean, look what's happening with Boris Johnson at the moment. You know, how many parties, how many parties happened? We don't know, but apparently none, according to him. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so interesting. Um, the different, uh, I suppose, the, the different sides of the coin of, of responsible podcasting and reporting. It's, it's uh, you know, I find it very, very entertaining. Um, so when I lived in Italy, there used to be a program on Sunday evenings. Is it Domenica Sportiva? Or, yeah. yeah, Domenica Sportiva. Yeah. Um, and so that used to be like a, a kind of a highlight um, for people, I think, before Skype, because yeah. you know, there wasn't you know, so much. And so they used to look forward to this program. And, and the thing that always struck me about this program was there was always a, a very attractive young lady wearing a moderately short skirt uh, on the edge of the sofa. And she would be introduced at the beginning of this mammoth two and a half hour program or however long it was. Um, and she would say nothing for the entire show until the very last question when the host would turn around and ask, so what do you think? And she'd say, yeah, I think everything is wonderful. And I'd say, well, thank you very much for your analysis. So this, <laughs> this is basically what I used to remember. Um, that kind of model, does it still does that still work in, in, in Italy or has that been really pushed aside now? Well, I cannot say that it's been completely pushed aside. Uh, from time to time, there are some some programs, they're still like this and some other, they're just moving forward. You know, uh, I think in Italy, there is a big influence from the USA TV, from what comes from USA. And I think that what happened, happened with the Me Too movement, you know, uh, I think that struck a nerve. Because, I mean, it's different in Italy because there was no, uh, for what we know, there hasn't been like uh, someone who actually took advantage of his work position to, you know, promise something. Mm -hmm. And You mean like Harvey Weinstein, that kind of person? Yeah, exactly. Yeah? Okay. Uh, but the thing is, if you take a look at, I don't know, if you get to uh, a road, you know, and look at advertising, you know, to take uh, such a wonderful lady in a bikini selling uh, olive oil. I mean, why would you put a bikini girl, uh, a girl in a bikini selling olive oil? So that's that's marketing. But mm. and they used to do that also in, in television. Now it's going in a different way because also with the grow of um, uh, women soccer, female soccer, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry if I don't want to be rude or just. I no, mean, no, no. Women soccer is cool. Yeah, yeah. it's calcio femminile in Italia. Like, uh, <clears throat> so that's also helping, you know, young kids, young ladies to, to go and play. So that's also, you know, <clears throat> uh, helping them. But also from a journalist point of view, they're trying, you know, to take a look at first at their competence, mm -hmm, their their, skills. Yeah, yeah, their skills, their knowledge of football and everything, and secondary, at their, you know, at their look. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think in Italy at the moment, there's still like a 60 look and 40 skills, mm -hmm. and they're trying, you know, to go in a 50-50 or maybe 100 skill and, and zero look. And I don't know, It's I think it's a very um, hard topic, difficult mm. topic. Mm. But the thing is, 
uh, <clears throat> when you look at the TV, uh, they say in Italy, il bello piace a tutti, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like you can a, a people with a, a person with a really uh, disgusting voice work in a radio? Of course, everyone is able to do that. Mm. But would it be uh, a smart move from a radio give a guy with a really, you know, uh, lousy voice, a disturbing voice, a, a radio program? Mm. They wouldn't do that. Yeah, unless, of course, there was a very, very specific reason behind it, like they're a, 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 an expert in blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, of course, then, of course. Then there are I different mean, if, reasons. If, sure. if, yeah, of course. I mean, but if it's an entertaining program, with a sport sure. is entertainment. So I would I want to say that. And sure. if you take, I, I don't know, a one hour program about entertaining, about everything. If you take a guy, I don't know, who who is unable to, to, to speak, you wouldn't give him that position. Sure, sure. And I think that the most important thing of all, it's just to give a girl a position because they're skilled. Mm. And not just because she's good or just because, uh, I don't know, it's, I mean, there's, it's, it's, as I was, as I was saying, it's a really different topic, uh, mm. a difficult topic. Uh, I think that the moment This topic, it's not a topic anymore. It means that, okay, we're just going on without thinking of this. Because mm. if you think about it, then this topic exists. exists. So yeah. if you just take a girl, put it on a studio and, you know, let her talk and let her do her thing, let her work. I mean, it's work. It's not, I mean, something particular. It's work. Mm. And if they, if she works, then... She's working. She not. You don't have to think maybe with uh, prejudice. Mm -hmm. With prejudice, you know. Okay, why is she there? What has she done? Is she good looking? Is she bad looking? Just, I think it's we're going in the right in the right way. But at mm -hmm. the same time, as I was saying with the radio example, if you work in TV, you have to be good, a little good looking. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's and in, in in this also works for a, a male person, of course. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, um, I mean because it's also interesting. I do recall that there were also a number of Italian uh, shows where the women were the main hosts, so they ran the conversation, they managed the debate. It was just this this vast contrast between on the one hand you've got these knowledgeable women who are who are leading the debate and then on the other hand you've got quite clearly this this i don't know 40 or 50 year old show which continues to put um you know this this is beautiful lady um but at no point do they really take her presence there seriously and, and this was the, uh, the the question um but in italy among the fans Um, when they, when people listen to um, radio commentary, um, are there any female Italian voices on radio yeah. commentary? Yeah. Yeah. How, how are they received? How are they received? I think that in the last years, the Italian audience is really grow. It's you know intelligent. I, I'm I'm really sorry if I uh, start to look like you know I'm uh, I don't want to be um, how do you say incompreso you know I don't want to be uh, misunderstood fraintes yeah I don't want to be misunderstood so I'm sorry maybe my English I had a really great professor 
Zach, <laughs> of course. But I mean, um, one thing is to talk about football. One thing is to talk about this really important topic. The thing is, for example, if you the, in the moment you don't make a difference between a wonderful girl and a, a skilled girl, uh, that's the the moment you. I think you really manage to take that topic and throw it away because there are many wonderful girls who, has, who are also skilled. So that's what I was saying before. A, a, a wonderful, you don't have to, you know, pick on a girl just because she's wonderful mm-hmm. or because she's skilled. I think there are many wonderful girls who are amazingly skilled. They're really skilled. So you, that's was what I was, what I wanted to say before, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So there's you have to be balanced and on in everything. In the same time, uh, as I was saying, in uh, uh, women commentating on a football game, it's I don't think it's a uh, uh, taboo anymore. Yeah. And and as I was saying, I think the soccer, the the women's soccer, really helped its its pro- this process. Okay. All right. So it goes hand in hand because I do remember that the first time there was a female commentator on the BBC, uh, but also the first time when I heard uh, a female commentator on German football, um, there was a bit of an outcry from some areas of of the fans. Uh, but the thing is, whenever I, I think I must have listened to the game for about an hour before I actually realized it was a woman speaking. Yeah, As that's a, it's, a, it's such a completely natural yeah, process, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's in that moment, it means that the the audience is when you don't notice notice it anymore. It means that it's okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. So also talking a little bit more than about your podcast. So you the other day you did a really I I thought fantastic show. You invited uh, a referee. Um, and you you wanted to get the the thoughts of of, of this particular referee on, on on the role that referees play in football and some of the the styles. Uh, I remember you asked a fantastic question um, uh, where you, you you asked whether whether he thought the better referees were the ones that were more open and liked to talk with the players or the ones who are a little bit more authoritarian. Um, yeah, do you want to talk about how that came about uh, and also, you know, how you f- feel the role of referees should be? Well, of course, the referees, they're as important as players because players score. But if the referees, uh, if the referee whistle takes a whistle before, then it's it's not a goal anymore. Mm. They're, of course, really, really important. The thing is, in Italy, I think they we talk way too much about referees. Because okay. as a player misses a open wide goal, the same can happen to a referee. So if he makes a mistake, then that's it. Maybe what happened in 2006, you know, with Calciopoli, um, and and what came on about referees and everything. Of course, that didn't help all the you know Italian audience. But for me. Who's going to referee a game? It's not a news. I mean, from a journalist's point of view, I don't mm. care of who's the referee of a game, but that's my point of view. Other guys, they just love to know who's the referee because they can start to, you know, about this guy did that, did that mistake. They, they, he, he favored one team or the other. But I mean, as 
as the referee said in that program, uh, everyone starts to love football because of a team. Everyone supports a team. Players do. With I mean, with my work, I've been talking with a lot of uh, former players. They actually work with me as a uh, co commentary And off the mic, you know, off the record, I almost always ask if they supported the team. And, you know, they say, of course, but in the moment you play for a team, you're just, you want to be successful. And because it's a work, it's a job, just like every every other job, of course. Being a footballer is fantastic. You can make a lot of money and you play soccer all day. You just train all day. It's, it's beautiful and all of that. But I mean, if you want to be successful, you have to do your job well. And so it's it's the same because for a referee, the referee wants to do his job in a in a good way, because if he makes a mistake in order to, I don't know, like favor his child team mm-hmm. then it's it's not a referee anymore and when a referee gets to the Serie A is it means that he did that like for 20 years he started 20 years so he's he he's experienced and I mean and of course in the next game if the referee makes a mistake I will just start to curse him now of course I'm, I'm I'm joking I'm joking I'm joking but yeah the thing is I the the first question I had in my mind when I wanted to do this episode with a former referee was why would someone do the referee? In Italy it's I mean I don't know how well I know in England it's not like that but I remember a couple of uh chants from the stands but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. But uh, against the referee in England of course mm. but I mean in they're part of the game and they they make mistakes just like players just like goalkeepers like coaches when they make a bad change bad substitution and they're part of the game mm. i mean and has var do you think put a greater emphasis on referees mistakes or do you think that uh, var uh, in correcting referee errors has removed the pressure from referees I don't know because I'm not a referee, but I think if VAR helps the game going clean, you know, with no mistakes, that what that what that's what it means the most, you know, what that's what's most important because uh, I as a fan, as a football lover, in my idea, the the game has to go in the perfect way with no mistakes. So what if there's a solution to this with a referee making a mistake and uh, the VAR helping him and so helping maybe well not helping the team because it's not helping the team but uh, preventing one team or the other to maybe uh, get a goal you know get scored or something uh, because of a mistake then I think it's it's a good way it's a fair thing you know and that's that's why I'm I'm in favor of VAR. Mm-hmm. I know in England there's been a lot of talking about VAR, but in Italy, in, in the, the home of uh, you know critics to to referee, it's at the moment it's I think it it got a, a good start now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, all right. Um, one more question then um, for, for you, Alberto, and it, it might be a big one, but uh, we don't have to think about it too long if, if, if you're in a rush. But um, football, obviously in Italy, it has a very, very big cultural presence. Uh, and also it's it's been used in the past for political issues. Um, I think, for example, Berlusconi used Milan to forward his popular his popularity mm-hmm. within within uh, the within Italy. Um, Later this year, we have uh, the Qatar World Cup, um, and I, I think this is a very also a, a politicized uh, issue. Do you do you think the, the that the FIFA should have taken away the decision to have the World Cup in, in Qatar um, after all of the revelations about the previous board? Um, that were perhaps involved in some um, questionable practices, but also more importantly for me, the number of people who so sadly and tragically have died in building these stadiums. Uh, do you think FIFA should have uh, revisited that decision? I think that FIFA shouldn't have going with Qatar in the first place <laughs> at the beginning. In but if they do give the the World Cup to Qatar. Then I mean it's it would be uh, an own goal to to take it back uh, mm. because I mean if I was thinking of when you when you asked me this question I immediately thought of the South Africa World Cup and it had an amazing symbolic meaning you know and the same thing the USA in '94 because they tried to you know take soccer bring football to to USA and. If you tell me we want to bring in that in that area of the world, you know, in the Middle East area, we want to bring football there. We want to be in in Qatar football because it's such a, you know, a growing uh, country. But unfortunately, as uh, many inquieste, many. Yeah, sort of uh, investigations. Yeah, as the investigations reveal that they just did that for money. And I'm not uh, anti-Qatar, anti-World Cup, anti-World Cup in Qatar, but I think they did that for the not for the good reason. And but in the moment they do that, they they have to give, you know, the 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 chance to Qatar to do the World Cup and hosting it. And but also from a sporting view, and I know, I mean. The World Cup is going to be played in December in stadiums with AC, with air conditioning. That's crazy. Mm. I mean, it's like if in Russia they play in January in Siberia. They just don't do that because it's impossible to do it. And so that's, I think, not a good thing. But I mean, I'm not the FIFA president. <laughs> so, uh, shame, but, yeah, think- uh, for example, in Italy also, there's a lot of young kids dying while working. That's the, that's that's a tragedy. Uh, the thing is, you have to investigate on how these people is, are working, you know, in Qatar and trying to build the stadiums. Are they safe? Are there standard standards? And also from the human rights, you know, we have to look at that, too, because we are now living in a world as the pandemic demonstrated. We are always connected and it's unaccept- unacceptable to see maybe in some countries that they're really going to the future, giving everyone the same opportunity, everyone the same chances and other 
in other places it's not like that of course every country has its own culture i i love when i see different cultures i love to do that and and i respect it because i think you know it's not the world the world it's not the same the, every country is not the same but at the same time you have to give people the chance to live in a normal way a regular way i know it's a very high, also this topic exactly Sorry, <laughs> it turned man. out a, re, a really <laughs> difficult interview but it's, Sorry, it's such, a, it's, such a, it's so beautiful to talk with you so i'm really happy to to be here but yeah i think in the moment they give qatar the world cup it's an on goal to take it back mm. so they had to before with old people dying and everything they had to give standards to qatar mm. and then make sure those standards were followed as well yeah and, of course uh, i yeah, have course. i have my doubts about fifa's uh, engagement um, in in that to that extent but uh, you're you're right alberto i mean this for me today has been such a, a happy episode because we, we you know we we've connected again it's it's been a long time um and, and i was so happy that you 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 accepted my invitation i i do apologize i have rewarded you with some very difficult uh, questions um but you're such a good sport and you've answered these questions um and uh, yeah, i'm i'm very pleased um yeah to to have had this opportunity uh, and of course to get your wonderful responses for that um so yeah i mean thank you very much what more could i say i really hope that you enjoyed uh, our chat and then you'll uh, yeah you'll come back and speak with me again at some point yeah of course when you want i'm really happy to be back again and thank you for the invitation i'm sorry if my english sometime it, it went a bit rough but and uh, hopefully i i'm not going to be misunderstood because you know if if we did if you ask me those difficult questions in italian it would be maybe a bit easier for me to express myself but hopefully my ideas went in the good way but you know no, no. it's okay No, no, your English is, is wonderful, um, Alberto. And uh, yeah, I mean, la prossima volta facciamo in italiano, se vuoi. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Maybe okay. in the same room, okay? <laughs> With a beer and watching oh, a game, yeah. that would be fantastic. Unbelievable, absolutely. Yeah, it would be my pleasure. Thank you very much again. And uh, yeah, buona serata. Buona serata, grazie a tutti voi. Thank you.